Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. My name is Sam Matler. It has been two months since the last episode, and that is absolutely shocking. And for that, I apologize. Uh, there's no reasonable excuse or explanation for why that happened other than the fact that I've been slack. And uh, here we are, episode 99, two months later after 98. Um, and it's with a producer called Anki. And I went back and forth with Anki's manager for uh, quite a while. We finally got it sorted. Then I listened to his music and I was blown away. He's a phenomenal producer. Uh, that music that you hear and it's kind of just got that magical vibe to it. Releases on Enhanced and he just put out an album called Bloom, which is just a great piece of work. So I encourage you to listen to that first and then come back to this interview. Uh, that's, his name is Anki and the album is called Bloom. In this interview, we talk about a few things. We talk about his process behind producing that album. He actually made 62, I think it was, 62 songs and then narrowed it down uh, to the length of the album, which is an interesting process. He's very productive. We talk about his rock and indie influence, where that comes from. We talk about his workflow. Uh, and we also talk about finding your own signature sound. We've talked about this before in the podcast in the past, but Tom's or, or Anki's explanation for how to find and kind of develop your own sound is the best explanation I've heard full stop on how to do it. So if that's something you struggle with, if that's something you think about a lot, um, then you're going to want to listen to the whole interview. We talk about it near the end, uh, but what's said beforehand kind of leads up to it. So Hope you enjoy the interview. If you do, make sure to check out his music, uh, follow him, and um, let me know who you want to have, who you want me to have on the podcast next. We're coming up to episode 100. We're looking to get a big guest on. If you have any leads, let me know. Uh, but following that, we'll be back to normal scheduling. And um, if there's an artist that you really want on, just send me an email or a tweet, uh, sam at edmprod.com or at edmprod on Twitter. That's all from me. Without further ado, here is Enki. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Anki. Is that how you say it or is it like Anki? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it, we, we, I've always pronounced it with the kind of soft A, so the, the Anki. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that's yeah more of a hard A, but man, some of the pronunciations for such a short word is incredible. <laughs> I've heard Anki, I've heard Ankai. Uh, someone came up to me with like an Ankakai, which was weird. <laughs> they like doubled up on the K. But your real name is Tom, so that's a lot easier. It is. Tom, I want to start off talking about uh, your album, Bloom. I think it's incredible. I um, mean, like I said off air, 
it reminds me of the time when, when I first came across Enhanced and um, about six years ago. And I was like, what is this music? Like, it's just, it's magical. It does something. Um, and I fell in love with Enhanced's label. And then I think yeah. there were many years where I just didn't have that same feeling, not to rip on Enhanced, but um, I just didn't hear th- that kind of music come out. And then I listened to your album and I was like, this is it. Like, this is the music that I love. Um, so great work. Man, thank you so much. That that warms my heart, it really does. Thank you. Oh, of course, man. I'm not just saying that. My first question though is what made you decide to put together a full album as opposed to releasing a bunch of singles? Because it's getting less and less common to do that. It is. I mean, I mean, we're kind of like almost seeing a resurgence in a way. There's a lot of EDM artists, like the the, the bigger side of things that are now realizing that, oh, there is actually value in putting in it to mm. putting together a piece of work. Um, but to be honest, it it wasn't uh, a like business decision. It wasn't right. anything kind of uh, thinking like, oh yeah, I've got a career plan lined out. And in, in matter of fact, like my manager is probably still fuming at me uh, <laughs> for deciding to do like full length body of works because they take so yeah. much time, they take yeah. so much energy out of you. And in today's climate, like a lot of people can point to, I mean, you know, take the Chainsmokers for example, they they managed to make millions and you know sell tons of tours that gets off two singles sure um yeah. realistically like why do you need to do this um for me it's just how i grew up musically or everything that i connected to on a personal level was always uh, albums and bodies of work um mm. like there are individual songs in there sure and there are you know singles that still left their impact but if i look back on my own musical history and the things that you know gave me this feeling of man, this is my thing. I never want to let go of this. I love this so much. It was always albums. It was always bodies of work. I think you can do so much with the format of an album and, and really kind of take a listener somewhere else that a single just can't do. Um, so for me, uh, like growing up, it was always my dream just to make and release a full length album. Um, mm. And it's kind of weird because now I've, now I've done two. Um, but yeah, it was literally just was, uh, kind of saying, screw it. Like, I don't care if this doesn't make any sense in my career right now. Like, let's just, make some albums and just keep going. And after finishing the first one, I was like, man, I never want to do that again. And it's kind of like having kids. Like you, mm. you just kind of say, man, that took it out of me. God, this is such a burden. I'm never doing this again. And then like four months down the road, you go have like- you, Have you been pregnant? Uh, no, but I'd imagine it's much the same. Yeah. This is, if, if my girlfriend, uh, if my girlfriend gets pregnant, I'll just be like, oh, I empathize, honey. I really do. It's yeah, just, yeah, it's yeah. almost like when I have my album, but you know, I had it worse. Yeah. It's probably a lot um, worse making it, an album to be honest. <laughs> way worse. Uh, but it is that same feeling. You're just like, oh, I want another one. Like you do just kind of, uh, you, you forget all the pain and suffering you went through and just kind of, uh, lean into the process a bit more. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, like it was, it was nothing to do with like, oh yeah, no, this will get me my streaming metrics and we can pitch here and we yeah, can pitch yeah, there. Yeah. It literally was, man, I'm a music nerd. I want a music yes. nerd somewhere in the world, even if it was one person just to like find my album, latch onto it and be like, yeah, this is mine. This is my thing. I love this. Mm. I think that's, yeah, I like, I totally get that. I haven't made an album, but I think that if I was to, that would be the motivation for it. And I've noticed, you know, you said it's becoming more somewhat more common or it's making a resurgence. Yeah. Which I have noticed, uh, San Holo, do you know? Yeah, I, I absolutely adore that album. Um, yeah, it's, like it's an amazing album. I don't think he made that though to like grow his career, you know? No, a hundred percent not. And that's, I think why for his fans. I enjoy it. Yeah, it, well, it was for him, I think. Um, for, yes, absolutely. Yeah, like when, when, I'm, when I'm hearing that, there are so many risks and so many really like kind of conventionally wrong choices um that mm. it's clear that this just 
it needed to get out of his brain. I totally sympathize with it. Yes. Like, um, for me, I think that the type of music that really benefits from a long form um, body of work style uh, is always the ones that is kind of like draped in sincerity. Like it literally is this mm. this music that that had to be written, otherwise the artist would feel worse for it. You know, and I think that San Holo mm. album is a perfect mm. example. I absolutely adore it, even though I dislike quite a few of the songs and the choices, uh, yes. simply because. Yep. Um, it, it's just him. Like it, it's so naked in a way. Have you seen like the YouTube videos, uh, like the behind the scenes? I, uh, one, I think like one I mean, of them making it in the kitchen. Yeah, exactly. And you can, you can really <laughs> tell that's like, there's, there's such yeah. this fragility to it. I absolutely love. Yes. Um, but then like, I kind of look at the, the other side, cause we were talking about, you know, that there is this resurgence coming up and there are some artists that I just think. I, I, I appreciate the fact that you are making an album and trying to push yourself to do that, but there are some artists where those genres and those styles clearly weren't the best fit and it never felt listening to it like you intended this to be an album. So what's, what's an example? Um, kind of like, I mean, I, I grew up cutting my teeth on the like real heavy dubstep scene, drum and bass, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, like there have been some amazing drum and bass albums uh, last few years. Like the the most recent Mephchus album is unbelievable, like incredible mm. thing that couldn't exist uh, split up into, you know, singles and EPs. Um, but right. then I kind of listened to, um, for example, like not to rag on them, I absolutely adore Excision's production value, but um, Excision's yep. kind of insistence on packaging it in albums, they never seem to be thought of um, from the artist's point of view as like, right, I'm going to flow from this track to this track and then I'm going to go uh, and drop it down mm, here yeah. and I'm going to bring it back up in this section. I'm going to tell a story. It literally is like beat you Just over the head. A bunch of singles. Like, yeah, it, 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 it's kind of one note. And don't get me wrong, that one note is yeah. amazing, but I don't want to listen to that from start to finish. I want to dive in, pick out two tracks, bang my head as hard as possible and leave. Like it doesn't, for me, that doesn't have that much artistic benefit to being an album in a way um and there's a there's been a few artists that are kind of announced out of nowhere that oh i'm gonna make an album and i was like oh, why i mean interesting i'll give it a listen <laughs> but why yeah, why yeah. have you decided to do that um yeah. i gotta admit the one that was a really pleasant surprise actually was getter um i okay. i really did not expect that to be as odd um as, right. as it is uh to be honest i was kind I of actually listened to it yet it's it's worth checking out just for just for the the risk of it really. Um, it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, there are some there are some artists that I'm just like this is this is too much really. Um, I think another one was was barely alive. I have such a soft spot for their production value, but their the way they mix and master is so full on all the time, like mm. just right in your face and grating. I mean, by design, they do a yeah. great job at it. Yeah, but for an album like that's exhausting like to, to go from track one to track 11 of course I, that's why you know i like i liked your album there were moments of kind of like you know i can breathe now yeah and then there's like these other moments of like full-on uh, actually what the best ep that i've ever heard not an album but a five track ep is uh cone sounds an acer sanctuary ep that is one of my my favorite bodies of work ever absolutely adore it Oh, it's just, it flows so well. Like it's, yeah. it's literally like one, you know, like one piece of work and it's just, oh, it's exactly it's like, but I've, I've tried to kind of talk to students about why I love this so much. Um, and I always liken it to, it's literally just like slipping into a warm bath. 
it's just amazing yes. like it, it literally the moment i put on that opening track and you just get those kind of reverse pianos and ambient soundscapes coming and i'm just like i uh i, I don't want to think about the rest of the world for the next 30 minutes it's it's just takes yes. you away i love that ep so much um speaking of which have you heard the um have you heard the new cohen soundtrack from the album that's finally dropped no uh, it's called Chili Daddy, and it is absolutely okay. bizarre. Um, it is like slap funk bass, like 16th notes constantly at like 170 wow. BPM. It's manic, but God, I'm looking forward to that album. So coming back to, to your album, I mean, I know you didn't do this from like a career perspective or business perspective, but did you have a, in terms of the production and overall kind of creative vision, did you have a plan of any sort or, or did you just make music and hope for the best? So, I mean, the, the way I write albums tend to be, I mean, I mean, the way I write music nowadays is it's an outlet for a lot of kind of stuff I need to work through personally. Like for me, music okay. has never been a particularly calculated pursuit, um, especially mm-hmm. the Yankee project. It's been really personal. Um, I mean, the reason it started was to, you know, work through some really, you know, dark times in life and it, just this kind of emotional music got born out of that. Um, so with albums, what I tend to do is, um, it tends to be kind of snapshot of where my life is at that point. Um, because I mean, I write too much music, like way too much. So bloom, uh, I think overall had about 62 songs finished. And then from there I started thinking, right, none of these make sense here. This doesn't tell a particular story. This doesn't feel like an honest representation of, you know, how I feel or, or, or who I am right now. That can go and be, you know, used, cut down to parts for another thing. Um, and slowly but surely, I kind of whittle it down to what I feel like is the most honest snapshot of everything I've been feeling and, and going through the last year or so. And then kind mm. of working out how that's going to flow as an album and making all the edits that I need to to carve that into a piece of work. But no, there's never like a kind of, uh kind of thought that sparks off an album it's it's never kind of built from concept it's always just mm. an outlet for me really. it's mm. just kind of mm. like i gotta pull this out and it's gotta, gotta leave now i've got i've got like two questions that come to mind instantly the first is i know that uh some people have a hard time i don't know what the right word is like transmuting that emotion or whatever they're dealing with yep. into music especially if it's uh, you know, they're, they're depressed or whatever, and they yeah. find it hard to actually, I don't know, put that into music. They don't want to make music. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I, I'm, I've suffered from depression and anxiety myself, and it's I, like finding the motivation to do anything is bloody hard quite a lot of the time. So <laughs> I, I entirely get that. Sorry, I interrupted you. What were you saying? I was just going to say, like, what advice would you give to that person who, who has all this stuff going on? They want to put it into music, um, but they just, I don't know, they just find it hard to get started. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think for me, the the crucial thing here is understanding music theory, but not to a point where you are this like kind of jazz wizard who can write down chord formulas and scales and everything and be fine with it. The thing that I like teach to students who kind of are come up come up with that same question, uh, they're like, "How do you make you know your music emotional?" And for me, like there is a very quantifiable way of attaching emotions and feelings to chords. Um, and yeah. and relationships in their scale. Um, so what I tend to do with students is I tend to just kind of like show them a basic, you know, natural minor scale and just uh, tell them kind of the basic, what a general audience will feel if you play this chord after this chord. Um, mm. You know, you've got mm. your your one chord and your three chord. They're your, they're your home. You know, your one is your sad home. Sure. So you're feeling mellow and you're, you know, you've got something to work through. Your three is your happy home and, and you know, things are looking good. 
you've got your uh, your four and your five is your mystery dark like all is lost yes. kind of chords where there's nothing like there's nothing to latch onto. You're lost in this sequence, and then you've got your six and your seven. These are your journey chords. You're moving somewhere. You're you're mm. transitioning from a state to somewhere else, and pairing those emotions up together in a sequence can yield some really like heart-wrenching results if you just try and yeah. like apply your own situation to those kind of almost tableaus in a way you can kind of look at it and just say right i you know i've been stuck in the house for four days i've eaten nothing but you know microwave burritos and i haven't changed out of these sweatpants in like a week i feel dreadful and i don't feel like my life is progressing anywhere i mm. what i want to do is i want to I, I just want to get on a plane and go anywhere to take me away from this so you'd to transpose that into a chord sequence you'd you know start with your one you're depressed you're at home but it's safe and it's comfortable uh but you want a journey right so you transfer to your six uh because oh man i, I want to get out i want to move that's your movement chord you're, you're going somewhere else um but that makes you feel nervous and scared you don't really know what's going to happen when you do that so you transition to your five and suddenly you're like oh okay i'm not sure if i want to do this i know it's good for me to do it but should i just go back to bed I, 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 do I need that, that, that sense of movement? And then you could transition to a seven, which is kind of this more uplifting, uh, more solidified journey chord of just like, yeah, actually, you know what? I'm resolved. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go. And then you could, you know, round that off by starting the next phrase with a three and suddenly you're somewhere else, but you're home and you're happy and content. And you, you've found something like there is definitely a quantifiable way to attach emotion to pretty banal music theory um but yeah. it, it's it's an art that takes time to perfect for sure yes. um like the best way i can um the best piece of advice i can give to anyone who wants to really start doing that is honestly just sit down and listen to your favorite pieces of music that make you like tear up make you emotional make you feel things and just close your eyes and every single time there is uh, a moment or a chord that makes you feel a certain way just jot it down on a piece of paper like the timestamp mm. and then mm. take some time critically analyze you know right where's the bass gone there oh okay so it fell down to the g so that's the six of this progression okay i'm gonna write down the sixth so that's a decent way of making me feel like this and slowly mm. but surely you'll build up this kind of like arsenal in a way of kind of musical weapons you can just employ to make someone cry <laughs> that sounds like a very uh, <laughs> mean-spirited way of doing that i suppose but uh if i'm if i'm gonna be you know glib about it yeah. that's probably what you got no that's that's probably one of the best arguments i've heard for like learning theory mm. uh Absolutely. because you, you never need to learn like um you never need to know what uh you know uh like b flat minor add seven sharp five <laughs> yeah, is right. yeah. in your in your chord progression because the type of music we make like it's just not really relevant unless you're haywire mm. and that's where your sound is built from like that's he's yeah it's different though he's He's just an outlier. Precisely. And let's be honest, like he's, he's an incredible musician and an unbelievable, mm. um, and uh, just an unbelievable performer and, um, theoretical genius, but it's not like all of that complex harmony isn't really, you know, a gut punch of emotion a lot of the time, like learning, learning what a, you it's know, impressive. yeah, it's, it's incredible. And actually he can make some really beautiful pieces of music, but due to the complexity, yep. it doesn't. Yep translate to this like guttural feeling of just like fuck yes. i am sad like it, <laughs> it, it doesn't have that immediacy all you really got to learn um exactly. is your melodic minor scale like write it out 10 times a day and then just work out how those chords make you feel it's not it's not a hard barrier to entry theory wise you can make, do a lot just from that 
everyone listening to this, if you don't know uh, what Tom just talked about in terms of basic theory, learn it. Like just spend a week and just learn it. There's plenty of resources out there. We we put out a course called Songwriting for Producers. I'm not plugging anything, but <laughs> this course was a, a theory course and a songwriting course and the feedback has been insane because people are finally realizing like, oh, this is so fundamental. I should have learned this before I learned how to mix, before I learned how to do sound design. Because this is what a lot of producers do. They they get into, I did this as well. They get into production. Uh, they learn all the cool stuff and all the exciting stuff, how to make, you know, growl bass and yep. serum. Oh, I've been there. And then they get stuck and they're like, uh, I don't but I don't know how to put together a chord progression and my music just sounds so stale and unemotional. Precisely. I mean, I feel like that's why we've seen such a massive um, kind of surge in genres like rhythm, for example. Because that is, you know, all the people who are, you know, the kings of that genre right now and just like absolutely killing it at the top of the game. They're all the kids that downloaded Fruity Loops when they're 13 because they heard Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites. <laughs> yeah. And now, you know, they're now they're 19 and they're 20 and they've spent six years perfecting that craft. But mm. it wasn't from a musical standpoint. It was, how do I make that bass? How do I do that? How do I do that cool sound design? So we're kind of, we're, I, I kind of feels to me like we're at this juncture in especially heavy bass music where, um, like the musicality is kind of getting left at the wayside. They're doing really cool stuff with sound design. They really are like really neat stuff. But again, it's, I can only listen to it for about two or three minutes at a time. Well, I think Porter Robinson or Matt Zoe called it producer porn. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like it's really impressive. And, and a lot of just non-producers consumers will listen to it. Yeah. I think it depends on your goals. Like if you want to do that, then all the more power to you. Yeah. But I know a lot of people that I talk to, they want to make music that like lasts you know, I, I personally, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you disagree, but I don't think a lot of that rhythm stuff is going to be listened to 10 years from now. No, I don't think so. I mean, much in the same way as you had, you know, the bro step boom of like 2011, 2012, like a ton of that stuff, sure. number yeah. one, doesn't hold up to modern production standards, but number two yeah. was produced solely to, oh, no, I've got the biggest bass. No, I've got the biggest. No, get over, I've yeah, got the biggest yeah. bass. And that, <laughs> like, that's not, that's not a sincere reason to compose music. Like, yeah, it's really fun in the moment. Uh, but that that fun is only that immediate first yeah. impact, you know. Like there are very few right, right. intensely heavy bass music songs that rely on sound design that still to this day on the hundredth listen give me those same feelings. Um, yes, exactly. Whereas anything composed with sincerity, it doesn't matter how bad the production is, if you've composed it beautifully, that doesn't matter. Like that's still going to last. Those emotions will still stay with you, and they'll change over time as well. Like that that, that grounding theory is, is so important for me. I think. Man, some of those old trance tunes from like the early 2000s, um, the production is horrible. Like, <laughs> let's just be honest. But the, the melodies and the chords are just like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I listen to those and I'm like, oh. um, what's that Paul Van Dyke song uh, for an angel? Like yep. every time I hear that, I'm like, Incredible. yep. Like there's a reason those are, those are classics. And I, I know so much of it has become meme music. But like, to yes. me, that's kind of a compliment almost like it's not, yeah. it's not because it's bad. It's because it's so goddamn memorable. Like, it's because exactly. it's, it's fucking iconic. Like there's a reason why Sandstorm yeah. is the de facto <laughs> internet song because that riff is genius. Like, yeah, it might sound simple, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you didn't write it. Like it, it's incredible. Exactly. It's such an earworm. Has anyone ever heard like another song from Darude though? Now that is a question I'd like to get to the bottom of. That is interesting. Can we have like a call to action, like a deep dive on Darude's career? Like, I wonder if there's someone out there who's like the kind of de facto, like Darude expert. 
You know, like Has he actually just kind made of, any other music or like, <laughs> he, he, I bet you he's probably got like albums on albums on yeah, albums. Absolutely. I bet he's like this kind of prodigy that we just go overlooking because he made one catchy track. But <laughs> man, I want to I want to meet that dude at like a dinner party who like every time someone makes a Sandstorm joke, he kind of just goes, well, actually, Sandstorm originally in its seven minute uncut form was yeah. amazing. Like, you know, he's out there somewhere. Absolutely, man. Oh. What was, like, in terms of the album production process, what was the most challenging part? You said you made 62 songs and then you cut it down? Yeah, a lot, lot of tracks, yeah. Like, that, that number goes up or down depending on how many I'm remembering. I think it was 62. It was a hell of a lot. Oh, but um, to be honest, the most challenging part wasn't creating all that stuff. Um, one of the most challenging parts, to be honest, was... Um, getting my kind of editor brain on. Like there are two mm. very um, distinct kind of phases of being a bedroom producer. And I think one is very much, um, right, I'm in the creative zone right now. I'm just going to throw shit at the wall, see what sticks. I'm yep. going to create so much stuff. Like, uh, my God, I'm going to just make a bunch. And then there is the kind of classic producer in a sense, like the the type of guy who, you know, used to produce tracks uh, for classic rock bands in the 60s, who does nothing but turn up look at the band and go, this is six minutes. Why is it six minutes? This makes no sense. Cut it down yeah, to three. Yeah. What are you doing? Um, and it, when, when you're the same person uh, who's both creating and editing, it can be really tough to disassociate um, yourself and what you've written. You'll be like, oh, but I love that bit. And then you have to have that side of your brain that just goes, yeah, you love it, but is everyone else going to when it's yes. been running for seven minutes? And you kind of have to be exactly. like, oh God, you have a point. Um, for me, kind of, I've, I've gotten a lot better at it in recent years, um, a lot more brutal, but I mean, especially a couple of years ago, I could not kill my darlings for the life of me. Jesus, mm. I was a, I was a mess. Um, that was, yeah. that was definitely a challenge. I think. I think one of the hardest parts about doing that is when, uh, like the sunk cost fallacy, where you've spent so much time yeah. on a section of a song, <laughs> and you kind of know that it's just not working, but you exactly. want it to work, and you're like, I've spent five hours on this, it has to work, but it's got to be know, something. It's got to be something, but it's like it doesn't matter how much time you've spent on it. It's either good or it's not. Or, or the idea is either good or it's not. So, so many yeah. times I've had to like tell students like, Look, I know, I know you want this section to be good, but you can't polish this to be good. This is yes. just a bad idea from the start. Yeah. Yeah. There was no reason to have a like triplet drum over a straight kick. This isn't working, man. It's not working. Um, like fundamentally it's not. There's like, but I was tuning that kick for seven. I was like, yeah, that's it not the matter. problem though, is it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, dude. Um, yes, it's, yeah. it's, it can be really tough to, to kind of dissociate, um, the creative brain from the analytical brain a lot of the time. Um, but something that it's something that really needs to happen. I think that's something I learned, um, a, a quicker than most due to the fact that, um, my previous project, uh, Anki, um, was a partnership with, uh, with my friend Joel, um, who, uh, is absolutely ruthless for that. He is fucking phenomenal at just coming in and just going like, Tom, yeah. Why did you include seven bases here? It's like, oh, because it sounds really good. It's like, yeah, one will do. That's fine. Let's chop that down. It's like, but I spent an hour making it. Yeah, I don't care. Get rid of it. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That, that kind of, that taught me restraint very early on. Still didn't stop us making seven minute arrangements that should have been two, but um, <laughs> it, it really, that really, that lesson hit home quite early for me. Um, mm. I, you do have to be very pragmatic about it. I think advice for anyone who's struggling with that, honestly, is just try and have two separate sessions on a track, have a session where you are mm. just 
the kind of freewheeling hippie who's writing music because it's flowing through you, man. Like just just write as much stuff <laughs> as you can and then uh, save it, close it down, work on something else and come back to it tomorrow yep. as the mean-spirited editor who's just going like, this makes no sense. This is rubbish. Get rid of this. Despite how hard it can be to edit a song and kind of remove stuff from it, I still think it's easier than having a, an underdeveloped arrangement and having to then add more stuff to it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the way I like to work, especially in a macro sense. I mean, you've, you've seen that, you know, 62 songs down to, you know, 13, mm-hmm. like, like I've, I like having more clay than I need to work with and chip it away. But I think um, that mindset can kind of go the other way and, and lean into being a bit detrimental for some people. I know a lot of early on producers tend to think like, oh, there's not quite enough going on. So let's add in another feeling, another one and another one. And actually like, if, if you had like a germ of an idea to start a track with, that's probably the one that you want to feature prominently up front. And that's the one that you want to run through the whole track. Like there are so many frustrating moments where I have these students and people asking for feedback and they send me something in the first 10 seconds. I was like, Oh my God, this is a hit. Oh my God, this is great. This riff is amazing. And then 20 seconds later, it is buried under four more melodies. And I'm like, dude, you didn't need to iterate. Like this could have been a two and a half minute long banger. Just, you know, say what you need to say and get out, you know? So this is, I I talk about this so much because I think it's so important. I used to be one of those people who kind of looked at pop music and pop producers and I was like, oh yeah, you know, like that's kind of easy. Oh dude, everyone Generic, yeah. Um, But then I realized like, no, that's hard. Like they have, but they are the kings of this. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. It's like we can learn so much from that. Taking one idea and just featuring it so prominently, it's yeah. hard to do because automatically you think, oh, but Maddion has 150 tracks in his project, so I need to be more complex. So I need to do this, and it's like, uh, no, you I don't. Mean, you really don't, dude. Like you, you, you aren't Maddion, and that's the thing. Like Maddion has a reason for every one of those 150 tracks. Um, yes. I think so many people balloon their project files just because they think they should a lot of the time. Um, like my, my salient piece of advice that goes for, you know, any part of sound design, composition, anything, just ask yourself, why am I adding this? And if you can't yes. give yourself an actual answer, like what role is this filling? Get rid of it. It doesn't need to be there. Um, like it goes to like sound designing a bass, for example, like you, people will throw on a compressor and you'll ask like, why are you doing that? And it's like, oh, cause, cause I just do that. Like, no, if there's no reason for it, get rid of it. Does the sound need to be compressed? If there's no reason for you to do it, there's no need to add it a lot of the time. Um, I, I think your point about pop music is so, so pertinent. Like, I think everybody's been through that stage. Because let's be honest, like, we all got into electronic music, probably at a younger age. You want to go to a rave in the woods. Like, you want to go and just, like, party to some weird music. <laughs> um, and the last thing you want to do is admit that Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen is a stone-cold classic. But... but it is um like pop producers are like the best at what they do and their craft is so hard Mm. to emulate like there's a reason why max martin is still the number one person you go to and he's been doing this for 30 years like because nobody's got that ear nobody's got that immediate knowledge of just i know this is going to be a banger i can sit back and just let the vocals take Mm. like take center stage now like i've done my job um, that restraint, I think, is what makes him so valuable as a producer. Yeah, there's also quite a bit to it. I read a book once called, actually, highly recommend it, called How to Write a Hit, I think. And it was from a, a pop producer who's yeah. done quite a lot. Um, but he dives into the theory and like why things work and um, yeah. essentially how to, how to recreate a hit. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's such like what I love doing. I mean, pop music is one of my very favorite genres of music. I absolutely adore listening to kind of current stuff and working out right. Why does this suck? Uh, and then mm. right, why is this fantastic? And why can't I not stop listening to this? Because there are yeah. some devilishly genius hooks. I mean, to come back to the prior example, something I always teach the students because they always like scoff at it when I bring it up. Right, call me maybe <laughs> is like I, I will never stop beating the drum of this song because it's great. Mm. Um, that song is compositional evil genius. Uh, that song holds you hostage by never giving you any resolution whatsoever. Uh, the verse and the chorus all have the same chord progression. Yeah. It just goes six and then seven and then six and then seven and then six and then seven. You never get it resolved ever, not huh. once. So you think like the end of the verse is coming up. You're like, oh, finally, my home chord is coming, man. I'm going to hear yeah. a one or a three and I'm going to be, I'm going to be home free. Nope. Chorus starts back to six, back to seven, six, seven. Does it resolve at the end? Uh, literally it resolves twice and it doesn't even like give you the note in the bass or anything. Just kind of hints right. at it. Resolves right in the very middle of the song and once right at the very end. And that's wow. it. You are forced, like forced, to, you're held hostage to listen to this three minute song. You can't not hear it. It's fantastic. Like, there is so much of that in pop music that I have just this kind of begrudging respect for. Just like, this is, I, I don't know why I want to finish this. There yeah, must be a yeah. theory reason. And so often it is like they, they understand tension so well musically, mm -hmm. man. They're great. I mean, they have to because think about most people's attention spans. Yeah, precisely. They're just going to, it's going to skip it. I mean, coming back to like an album, like uh, mindset in a way, mm. that attention span is something you have to be really crucially aware of when you're writing a single. A single's yes. got to hit hard and get out. Whereas an album, you can indulge yourself a little bit more. Sure. If there's a song yeah. that needs a seven minute arrangement, you can actually be like, you know what? If someone's taken the time to play yeah. 13 of my songs back to back, yes. they're going to have the time to listen to a seven minute one, man. I can have a slow build. It's fine. Yeah, it's a really, really good point. It's, it's just completely different. So one question I want to ask those because 62 songs I think is just insane and perhaps even torture. How are you so productive? Like, what do you think it is? Um, honestly, I think it is, uh, number one, the fact that I'm not doing anything else, uh, which is helpful. I, yeah, I know true. a lot of people have yeah. to work, work, work things around. Um, but mainly for me, it is, um, knowing that, uh, kind of when, in during the kind of songwriting process, sound design isn't everything. Um, so I, I love sound design. Like I came again, like I cut my teeth in the dubstep game. So I was big into sitting down and just twiddling a bass for, you know, six, seven hours at a time. But for me, if you can get the genesis of a track down, like uh, a melody, a chord progression, a drum beat, um, and you can spin that out and you can hear that. And that sounds, you know, catching good enough, even in the most basic like a piano and some acoustic drums, like you can get an arrangement done in about 20 minutes yep. um, because you're not stopping to constantly just be like, oh, let me just tweak, let me just fix that up. And then you, you've got this momentum. You have basically a finished song right there. And in your head, you know how it's going to sound. From there, it's just a matter of going and filling in the blanks in terms of right now I need some atmosphere. Right now this bass line really needs layering with eight more synths. Right now uh, I've got to fill up the frequency spectrum of my main supersaw. Then you can go back with your technical brain um, and for me, it is a case of the moment I feel myself tuning out because that part of it can sometimes be a slog. Mm. The moment I find myself tuning out after, you know, two, three hours of work on the same track, I'm just like, right, well, let's go write another piece of music. Interesting. Right? Like let, let's, let's go and get the, the musical side right. active again and writing. 
And then you end up, uh, you know, you go for half an hour, take a nice little break and oh, you've got another three minute arrangement. Uh, so you'll go back to the first one and then you can just kind of keep that trend rolling. Um, like there are very few days where I don't end up with at least kind of like two to three project files that, you know, some might just be an eight bar loop of a guitar riff that I really liked when I was fiddling around. Some might be, you know, two minutes long and it's an arrangement that I'm thinking about and there's something there, but they're very seldom more than four or five elements. Um, they're, they're always very strict, very basic. And then I can go back and, you know, add the Maddie and 200 tracks onto the top of it. You don't worry sometimes, like I have a habit of doing that as well. And so I end up with a lot of, of project files and a lot of ideas, some of them good. Um, but do you not worry about like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to finish anything if I keep doing this? Never. No, never. Like, to, to be perfectly honest, that I find that fear like completely unfounded in a lot of people. Like, it, mm. it is common knowledge that producers get attracted to the new shiny work in progress as opposed to finishing that one song that they should. Uh, there's a reason for that. Like you've just had some inspiration, get it out, get it out now, go and do it. Like, and yeah, it might be a distraction from the thing you should be working on. But honestly, if you're dragging your feet on a song that you like, that, that it's taken you months and you're just really not sure about it, you're still going, maybe that flash of inspiration is a sign that actually that might be a better song to work on. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't put much credence into the idea that I can't start something until I finish this one because for me, every single project you file, even, you know, now that I've been doing this, you know, close to a decade, like every project file is a lesson, no matter if it's like four bars, eight bars, you'll learn something by doing it. Yep. Um, every riff you write, every drum you design, every percussion line you add in, every tweak to a fader that you do, something gets logged in your brain as, oh, that's neat. I'll do that again. Like there is yeah, always yeah. a reason to do that. So I don't think there's any harm in, in starting a lot of stuff. Um, you just have to be a bit more regimented with your time. I would, I would agree with that wholeheartedly unless the person is like literally starting their project exactly the same way every time. Some just don't stretch themselves, you know, like they just, they, they just do what they know and what comes easy to them. Then they get stuck when it comes, like let's say you're great at drum yeah. programming and so that's how you start every project file and then you get to the melody stage and you're like, uh, yeah, no, nah, I'm just going to start a new project. And so you do the drum beat yeah. again, you get to the melody stage. Oh, no, got to start a new project. You're, you're not going to progress, Absolutely. I think, when you're doing that. No, I, I entirely, entirely agree with that. Um, and to be honest, I think it's something all of us fall foul to from time to time. Like oh, even definitely. someone who can have the most regimented workflow in the world, mm. you know what you're good at. And to be honest, a lot of the time, your ideas are going to come from the same way. Like I, I'd say probably like 70% of my tracks start from me having a guitar riff idea because that to me you know, playing guitar for so long, that's the most natural way of me expressing myself musically. Mm, but mm. Um, for me, like a process that I found really, really good um, in my uh, last house, I lived with um, a couple of friends who were both quite musical. Um, but my studio setup was right in the middle of the house. Like they had to walk through it to get the kitchen late in the lounge, which I loved because I got to see people every day and, you know, chat creatively. Mm. But one thing I would do every single day, and it's something I still stick to now is just kind of yell through the, through the lounge, just, Hey, Oscar, give me a key, a tempo and one random instrument. (laughs) Um, and he'd be like, right, uh, 110 G sharp minor squeeze box. Right. Right. Cool. Finding a squeeze box sample. Let's do it. Um, huh. and you can, you can just get so many interesting textures from that. Like, obviously none of my songs, uh, can you hear a prominent squeeze box? <laughs> I, I'm never going to fe- I'm never going to feature that as the lead line, but yeah. at the same time, like it's in there. I've snuck mm. it in a lot. 
uh, it's an atmosphere somewhere. Like there's yeah. always a creative way of using that. But just having those kind of random things that you have to stick to uh, really sparked a lot of inspiration in me for sure. Like it, it mm-hmm. really um, forces you out of your box and, and think creatively about it. I mean, I do it with my girlfriend now. I'm just like, hey, can you give me a number between 90 and 150? We're like, okay, hundred. All right, can you give me a letter between A and G? And then she'll give me one. I'm like, okay, what's something you'd like to see me embarrass myself playing? She'll be like, play the spoons. I'm like, right, cool. I'm gonna sample some spoons. It's my percussion line for this track. Let's do it. Um, like it's it's so handy. Even if nothing comes of those files, there's no harm in, in starting it and getting inspired because you never know where yes. that one percussion line might end up or that one lead line might fit better somewhere else, you know. That's the exact reason why I don't think uh the whole I'm not feeling inspired is an excuse because yeah in a sense because you can create it like like based on what you just said or the fact that you can just get a sample or a loop and build a song off that precisely yeah there are more than enough samples out there yeah I think the thing for me is there's there is this still I don't understand like it's 2018 and there's still this sense of oh you used a sample man i like i sound like all my stuff like oh you used a top loop why did you do that it's like that's what they're there for exactly just because someone else made it doesn't mean you're not going to use it in an interesting musical way man like it's fine that's why they exist (laughs) oh yeah that's unbelievable to me i mean yeah i i there's maybe there's like a uh bt talks about it he says he does everything manually like all his vocal edits all his stutters manually with audio and to me that's like i do not have the i'm not bt and i never will be but um (laughs) i don't have the patience to sit there for 10 hours like editing a a single audio track (laughs) see weirdly like i i to be fair i I completely disagree with that workflow of just like everything must be by hand because like a lot of the time that's going to interrupt your musical workflow like a ton but when it comes to editing audio i actually do that like uh, i i much prefer to just cut and slice one audio file rather than mess around with plugins or do anything weird i much prefer getting hands on and just kind of oh i like i like that too just not for 10 hours you know like (laughs) there's a lot but um uh yeah yeah i forgot how we i samples so on and so on yeah i mean it's like again if you're producing pop or something you're not gonna waste 20 hours designing sounds usually no, you know, because that's not the to. point. Like, no, precisely. I mean, the way I like to kind of look at sound design, um, sound design is like it is an opportunity to impart who you are into yes. your kind of sonic world a little bit more. But at the same time, you can do that to a much greater extent with the riff that you've written. Like, mm. just because, like, just because Herbie Hancock is using the same piano as um, Elton John doesn't mean that Herbie Hancock doesn't sound like Herbie Hancock. You know. Um, I think there is a real merit to having an identity through sound design. And I think it's a very important tool to teach yourself. But I think too much stock is put into this idea that everything must be from from scratch. I think there's a very yes. delicate balance yep. to be had. I think for me, um, it, like in my in my tracks, I'd say everything is sound designed to an extent, but I do use samples probably for about 30% of the sounds just as kind of a starting base, but they mm. never end up sounding like they did in the browser you know right i I always like to do weird things to it so i mean for example uh, it's more for the filler sounds that i use them for um so atmospheres for example like the remix i just got finished today uh the atmosphere is a cow mowing time stretched to like four thousand percent put through some reverb and auto-tuned um but i would never have found that if i didn't just load in that sample and start with it i didn't have to design that from a synth you know 
I love doing that, like taking sounds that obviously aren't going to fit in the project and then like <laughs> making them fit. <laughs> exactly. Like that is something that um, Joel and I really ended up, I think going too far off the deep end right. with. We yeah. just, we're so stubborn about it. Like there is just, we'll, we'll make this one random noise like with a pull-up bar or something and then I'll just be like, oh, that's going in. I don't care how, but it's going in. But like oftentimes you can really get something so organic and fun yes. out of that. Oftentimes it never works and you have to delete it when you've got your editor hat on. But my God, like there is this, yeah, real palpable sense of just like, nah, fuck you, I'm getting this in. No one's oh, going to know yeah. it's there, but I'll know. <laughs> and it's just like these things the listener's not going to pick up on, but they do add to the song. Like I was listening to a song, I used it as a reference track and then I realized what they were doing. They had like a, uh, like a synth sound, it sounded kind of like an electric piano, a bit more organic. And I was like, how do they get that sound? Is it synthesis? No, they're, they've got a Foley sample on top. It's like a rainforest or something, but it's only playing right. with the synth. So it's not just playing in the oh, background. Okay. It's yeah. quite loud, but they've laid it over the synth. So it's got this like really organic top end, but you wouldn't be able to pick up that it's a rainforest sound if you're just listening to the song. Yep. But it's like, that's awesome. Like this is such, such a cool yeah. technique. Like there's so many, um, there's so many instances where something like that can really work. Like I always tell people don't overthink your production, right? Like for example, someone will come up and they've got a lead line that just feels like it needs a little bit more transient and they're messing about with, you know, compressors and envelopes and everything. They're like, dude, get a stick. Get your microphone, yes, exactly. hit the microphone yep. and put that on the start of every note. Done. Yeah. Sorted. Yeah. You don't need to yep. overthink that. You know, you want a transient, make a transient. Yeah. Get a kick sample and bring the decay down yeah. to like 10 seconds. Precisely. Like for me, the, the human voice is by far the most like versatile thing because I, I don't know if you find this, but when you're trying to communicate, when you're doing a collaboration with two producers, you oftentimes kind of lapse into this. Oh, like, oh, that drum sound, it needs to be more. And they're like, yeah, no, I know that that like cymbal sound should be more like, and you're like, yeah, no, I get that. That's great. And the thing is, like, oftentimes you're making this noise because it's quicker than, you know, doing five minutes of sound design work. Sure, yeah. What I, what I tend to do is just whatever that noise is, just record that into a mic because that's probably really goddamn close. Right. That's then you can do some point. processing. Like if, if you can accurately go like, oh, yeah, I want my shaker to be like, fine, load that in, do that, process it, high pass it, done. You got to shake a sound. That's such a good point. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, there's a ton of that on Bloom. Like so, so much of the kind of percussion and Foley effect was me just going like, oh man, I really need a sound that goes like, Whoo! and like, oh, just do that. Fine. Done. Reverb, auto-tune, like do something strange with distortion for a tail. That's great. Atmosphere sorted. Man. I just like that's so, so simple, but I've never really thought about that before. It's, I think it's just the fact that when you sit down to make music with a computer, there is something in your brain that just says, I'm using the computer. Yes. I am yeah. a producer. I am just using the buttons. I'm like, mm. hell no. Like, that's part of the reason why I just adore writing the Yankee stuff. Um, mm. it, it's just because so much of it stems from like my own voice uh, singing or doing this weird work, my own, like a guitar, like tactile in my hand that I can play on every song, you know, like. Uh, that that's so important to me. And I think that's such an important part of making your own musical identity. So when you've got an idea and it's sounding good, maybe you've spent an hour on it, how do you then arrange that and, and like turn it into a full track? Yeah, what I what I tend to do um, is I, I use Reason uh, for all my composition and they've got a really handy yeah, feature. that surprised called. me actually. Yeah, it surprised a lot of people. 
Um, and I don't know why. Uh, well, I, I kind of do just because VSTs weren't available until, you know, like last year. Yeah, I think that's probably it. Yeah, that is definitely it. Um, but I mean, to be fair, like if I go on a, on a tangent section just to plug how much I love Reason, uh, it, it spoke to me so much because mm. like, I grew up playing instruments in bands. Uh, like I picked up saxophone when I was four years old, picked up guitar when I was 12 um, and grew up, uh, especially in my kind of metalhead phase, uh, playing in metal bands and like running through every guitar pedal under the sun in front of me. Uh, and like when I was trying to learn music production, trying to teach myself that I opened up Cubase and it was a mess. I didn't understand what I was looking at. And I opened up Logic and it yeah. was like, oh my, what is all this stuff? I don't understand any of this. And I opened up Reason and the first thing I saw was a rack with knobs and things to fiddle with. And I was like, wait, that right. looks like that distortion yeah. pedal that I had. So obviously the first <laughs> thing I did was I chained 18 of them together in a row. Uh, but like yes. it gave you the freedom yeah. to do that. Um, but yeah, sorry, tangent. Uh, in Reason, there's a really handy feature called Blocks, which is basically just um, a thing you can kind of click and drag over the top of your sequencer um, that gives you access to basically planning out where your arrangement goes. So what I tend to do mm. is I'll get a section that I'm liking, be it you know, 8 bars, 16 bars, I think, yeah, that would sound really great as a verse. And then uh, I will literally, I won't compose anything. I'll just think in my head where this is going to go and put a block for, right, there's going to be eight bars of pre-chorus. Then there's going to be 16 bars of chorus, eight of pre-chorus. Then we'll go back to this verse and you can copy and paste that verse over and, you know, edit things later. Um, and just getting this really rough outline start to finish. It's not set in stone. You can change whatever you want to as, as that inspiration hits you. But um, just kind of getting it written out on paper for me is really important just finding a conventional song structure that's going to fit and then if you want to change that up fine you know more power to you as you're writing mm. but just having that framework is so much more appealing to me than staring into the unknowable void of an empty door and just looking like oh god mm. there's i've still got four minutes to fill because when you like when you line that up <laughs> yeah, you yeah, suddenly yeah. start realizing like oh if i stick to that arrangement that's like three that's 345 right there i, I have i have a yes, ton of stuff yeah. i need to do like that for me is really helpful because I tend to my like remix contracts uh, are an interesting way of working for me because a lot of times like some of the bigger labels ask to um, hear like a, your first verse and your first chorus uh, like a week in so that they know you're on the right track. That's not how I write. A lot of the time I'm writing in these like chunks. I'll make a chorus, but I'll also make the weird sure. second drop that I want to do and then I'll make the outro and then I'll make the yes. intro. Like I've got the arrangement right now. I know what it want I'm not, I know how I want it to flow, but I can't send them nothing for 30 seconds in a chorus, right? So a lot mm. of the times I end up mm. just sending them a full song and just be like, here you go. <laughs> I've accidentally finished it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I literally turned one in uh, a few days ago where they were expecting a first draft of the first verse and I was like, about that. I did yeah. finish it. So here you go. Uh, still haven't heard back, so I hope I haven't pissed them off too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Tom, I have a few more questions yeah. and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. You've clearly got like this rock indie influence and I loved hearing that in the album. Uh, where does that come from? Uh, that 100% comes from um, like having my rebellious metalhead phase um, when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, so like my, my parents, I think are to blame a little bit for sending me down that road. They're not really big rock heads <laughs> whatsoever. Um, they're, they're kind of taste, my mom's taste at least is right down the middle. Um, mm. but dad's taste, uh, growing up, like you wouldn't think to look at him. He is the quietest, loveliest, meekest man. He was kind yeah. of like a punk. 
in the 80s um like <laughs> not to look at he like he went to oxford and studied maths like he was a nerd like a proper geek <laughs> but he would also go to you know cure concerts and would blast like the sex pistols and repeat stuff um so when it came to you know that that age where you suddenly start discovering music my hand-me-downs were way higher caliber than i could have any right to so like my first album i ever listened to properly when i was nine years old was um the greatest hits of queen and i was just like what the hell are these noises these are really cool um but then i discovered what is still to this day my favorite album when i was uh i think 11 actually maybe just going on 12 way too young to listen or understand this album uh appetite for destruction by guns and roses Still, mm. I think the greatest mm. rock album ever made, ever it's, put to tape. It's yeah. perfect. Like to me, that is like I talk about sincerity and and vibe a lot when I talk about albums. Um, to me, that is the most like it just like that album stinks. Like you can smell that album. It smells yes. of like teenage arrogance and alcohol and like, <laughs> like just like sleeping with a different girl every night and not remembering their name and like just a broken bottle of Jack Daniels. Like it's just visceral and it's so sleazy mm. and horrible and I love it. It's great. It, it's mm. so obviously mm. where they were in their life when they were writing it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but that kind of set me on down a path of, man, I just got to listen to as much stuff with this cool guitars as I can. Yeah. Now, I bought a guitar um the moment i could afford it when i was about 12 from there obviously when you start learning an instrument and you're really passionate about it the first thing you do is go like oh man like i want to learn what the most complicated thing in the world to do on this is like what are the best people in the world doing and if you're a teenager the most impressive thing to you is not going to be you know someone playing beautiful and soulful music that you could never comprehend Shitty, it's, man. yeah it's going to be it's going to be dragon force right <laughs> it's going to be herman yes. lee playing through the fire and the flames as fast as possible and you're like i want to oh do goodness. that i want to spin my guitar around <laughs> and flip my hand upside down um so i had many dark years of trying and failing to grow my hair and playing like necrophagist oh. on like drop b like proper death <laughs> doom metal um but like as i the thing is like, because I was still playing saxophone and like jazz bands, like I still had this classical side of things. And in the middle of that, I still had relatively normal friends who didn't understand all this horrible music I was listening to. So I was exposed to mm-hmm. some decent pop music. So I, it kind of went all over the spectrum really. Um, but in my blood, like I will still, I'll still blast Avenged Sevenfold like every week. I still love it. Um, I yeah. think a lot of, a lot of that, yeah, rock influence comes from there. But when kind so of, cons- how did you get into, how did you get into production then? I'm curious, like, like electronic music specifically. So I think, um, the, I mean, this is a story that is probably as common as Mark, especially here in the UK. Um, like there is one band that basically kind of bridged that gap for a lot of people and it hit right at the right time for me. And that band was Pendulum. Um, and I know mm. a ton of people would have the same way because suddenly this was uh music that i was hearing at these parties that i started going to and it was it wasn't rock music but there was a guitar in there but it had all these like bluesy note licks that i would hear in like uh like a a a really fucking awesome rock song and like okay actually i don't hate this as much as i think i hate house music um Mm. and like i i started you know seeking that out and the more i listened to it the more i loved it and the more i wanted to play that stuff in the bands that i was you know in so the more we started doing covers of weird pendulum songs and the more I started thinking, man, this guitar doesn't quite sound like that synth. Oh, that's weird. Um, And then kind of one day uh, in sixth form college, so I was about 16, just about turning 17, uh, there was a snow day at my college um, and I got stuck. I couldn't leave for eight hours. 
So I, I had to amuse myself in the music department. Like you physically couldn't leave the department because we were snowed in. Right, uh, yeah. So I just went down to the computer lab and I think I clicked on every single software, like every single program. Uh, so one of them was a banking app that no, not fun. Uh, what's this one? Oh, okay. This is like more advanced than I've ever even heard of. That's crazy. And then I opened up this thing called reason and I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. Let's see what happens here. Um, and then at the end of that day, I was completely hooked. Like suddenly I had a way oh. of getting these sounds that were in my head kind of on paper. Like finally I didn't have mm. to write with just two guitars a bass and a drum kit suddenly i could i could have 80 guitars if i wanted to or i could make a yes, song that's yeah. just choirs or i could have 50 yeah. basses like really dumb immature things but having those that scope really opened it up um and then kind of i i was dabbling around with all sorts of um different genres and different ideas and taking like weird influences from all my other outside stuff uh, and trying to like finding myself a little bit, finding what I wanted to do. And then Scary Monsters dropped and completely ruined everything because that's all I wanted to make ever, <laughs> um, which I think is the way for everyone. Like that album yes. was just a bolt of goddamn lightning in 2010. Oh, that was, I still yeah. don't think it's been topped in terms of just raw energy no. and sound design prowess. It's, it's unbelievable to me still. Um, so that kind of decided my fate for the next, uh, <laughs> next however many years. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it literally was the, the transition from kind of like rock and metal through to dance music for me was really solidified by that album because you went to dance music gigs and it wasn't the kind of like douchey scene you thought it was when you're a 13 year old. Suddenly, because it's, you know, Skrillex, there are walls of death. There are mosh pits. There are people headbanging. You're yes. like, shit, I know this. I saw Slayer yeah, a week yeah, ago yeah. when I was doing this. Suddenly there was this accessibility <laughs> to me that I'd never had yep. before. And I was like, God damn, yeah, this is... This is what I want. This is what I want to do. This is infectious. This is my music. Mm -hmm. I, that subculture was so, um, I think, formative, not only for me, but just to so many teenagers uh, of that kind, yeah. of, that kind of era. Just, man, what a, what a moment. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, Skrillex was huge. Like, Un unbelievably so, yeah. I just remember people in, in high school, we call it college over here. I don't know about, what do you guys call it? Uh, we, like, we kind of have, we have primary school, we have secondary school until you're 16 yeah. and then you have college until you're 18. Uh, and then oh, you okay. university. All right. College for us is like secondary school and, um, up until you're about 18, like 12, 13 to 18. Anyway, everyone was playing, uh, scary monsters on their phone speakers, yeah, which just, was just like, <laughs> oh man, it made me disappointed, but maybe now. Tom, you've got what, what seems to me like a signature sound. And I know that a lot of people struggle with this. Yeah. They think that they need to make the same genre again and again mm -hmm. um, in order to, to create a signature sound. But what's your advice on kind of finding your sound or finding that sound yeah. that um, shows who you are as an artist? For sure. I mean, th this is a question that I get so often. And the trouble is, is because no one can really give... Um, an answer that feels satisfying to people because so many of the answers to this are wishy-washy stuff like just go break the rules man like well if you don't know the rules yeah, how yeah. are you gonna fucking break them or like find, find it within you yeah exactly so like well thanks like that is great advice for someone who's been producing for 10 years and can suddenly like turn on a dime and try new stuff but for so many people mm. coming up they want to know how and for me actually like I, I actually had a process trying to find what anki would sound like that i would happily you know right. to anybody um, cause I mean, growing up, like making all this dubstep, drum and bass, weird jazz stuff, like all over the shop. Um, it 
was all great. And I, I had a really good time doing it. But when I look back on it now, it's really clear that, you know, I was quite young, immature producer, and I was just making what I liked. You know, I was just aping something that I thought that's really cool. I'll try my own spin on that. Um, so to me, like making Anki, it was really crucial for me that I um, made something that I know no one else could do. And that comes across as cocky, I think, to some people, but you have to have that. If you're, if you're going to find a signature sound, you have to know that there is something that only you can do. And that's not like too much self-confidence. That is uh, literally a matter of nobody else has the same musical influence as you do. Like there are some people that will like some of the same bands, but they won't like all of the same weird bands as you do. So when I uh, was making, well, or, or even thinking about doing the Anki project, like before I even started writing any Anki music, there was a kind of like eight months of just thinking and testing and experimenting. Um, what I did was I went through my entire iTunes and Spotify library. So some you know, like 20, 25,000 songs. Um, wow. So these are all the songs that over my adolescence, uh, I saved and I loved and became a part of me. Um, what I did was I went through every single one of those pieces of music. Uh, I wrote down the name, I wrote down the artist, and then I challenged myself to find one thing about that song I loved more than anything else about that song. Mm. Now that could be, uh, man, that China symbol sounds really cool. Or man, that chord progression makes me cry. I love that. And kind of write down what the chord progression was. Uh, it could be as simple as, man, that one second right there where he like goes like in a death metal grunt. Oh, I love that. Um, but mm. I started writing all of this stuff down and kind of sticking up these bits of paper on my wall just to look at every day. And I noticed that all of the stuff that I loved about some of these pieces of music were the same, but in completely opposite genres. Like I had the same mm. chord picked out from a Meshuga song that I did from a Britney track. Right. And I was like, what? what the hell? Like that is really peculiar. And I started realizing yeah. like, that's, that's me. Like that's the thing that I've picked mm -hmm. out of those two songs that nobody else would have done. Right. Let's use that chord a lot while I'm writing my music and slowly, but surely like when you're doing this and, and you're going through your iTunes and your Spotify and you're realizing there are these common threads about things that you like. And actually there is this tapestry that makes you, you that nobody else has. You have this weird, unique kind of fingerprint that you just need to, look through your influences as find like tons of people will always say like oh don't try and ape your influences too much because you'll just sound like them and i agree if you're you know gonna like ape one influence like yeah it's not yeah, gonna sure, go well yeah. but your influences make you you like it, it makes yeah. it makes your musical identity nobody else has the same weird eclectic mess of stuff like one of my um good friends cat uh we're kind of working on this weird side project band thing but she also writes pop music like really uh, very on-trend, very current pop music, um, kind of similar to Ariana Grande stuff. Um, mm. But she, for the longest time, uh, only listened to math rock and like gent. Uh, and like every single time I'm working with her, I'm just like, dude, just let that show a little bit, you know, let that shine. Because mm. that, there is no kind of like femme fatale pop acts like doing a song about my butt that also knows what a polyrhythm is and would like throw in like, mm a random kind of like doo, gent sound like it doesn't have to be that <laughs> obvious but use some of those sensibilities in your writing you know um my advice yeah. to anyone looking for their sound is just take a good hard look at what you actually like um and try and pull from as many different genres as you can don't just look in you know the the indie dance space at you know three artists and just be like oh, i like this and i like this and I like this because 
you're going to sound like those three artists sound grab one from indie dance grab one from future bass grab one from dubstep grab one from classical grab one from that jazz you know i had an entire three pages dedicated to bark alone uh just because i absolutely mm. love the way bark composes music and turns yeah. out i pretty much picked up the same chord in every single song so i was like fuck wow. it i'm gonna use i'm gonna use the flat five in every single track i do um it was just <laughs> like it was this real eye-opening moment of just like this thing that i had been thinking was this unquantifiable like dreamy thing of just oh you'll find it when you find it it had a process yeah, to it you know right. it had it had something you could work towards every day like working out like put in half an hour a day just to kind of like trawl through and analyze your own music eventually you'll get this identity and this sound um if you just kind of follow those rules and stick to it man that that's the best answer i've heard to that <laughs> everyone gives like you said everyone gives like the esoteric like yeah kind of cop out answer but that's like an actual process that's like for me that that's how i yeah. like to to talk about production to people um because so much of it is personal and like no one can write sure. your music for you but to be perfectly honest like there is a way of quantifying everything um yes. there 100 yeah. is this is all all music is 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 maths like it's just numbers um mm. the only the thing is we just ascribe these emotions to it and actually just like drilling down and finding out what those are and what we've prescribed there are direct correlations you can always work out yep. something it's always it's always less complicated than people want to make it out and i feel like a lot of the reason behind that kind of wishy-washy nonsense is the fact that actually if people really sat down and thought about their process they realize it's not that complicated um mm. a lot of like and if you tell that to somebody that kind of feel like they were giving away their secrets like, i don't care I'll, yeah. I'll give away any secret you think i've yeah. got like just because I've told it to you doesn't mean you'll be able to create it in the same way I will because exactly. I have my influences, yep. you have yours. Like it'll be a different sound. Exactly. It's a really good point. Uh, what's coming up for you over the next, say, zero to 12 months? Zero to 12. Okay. In the next zero months, I'm going to go to sleep um, and really just get some rest. <laughs> um, so the next year is kind of looking a little bit interesting. Um, I've been working on uh an album with my friend joel who i mentioned previously who uh, i used to run subvibe subvibe with um we have been working on an album for about four years um wow. and again another another ridiculous uh adventure where we'd made something like 80 songs and slowly whittled it down um it's been a really long process because uh the two of us are on very different schedules um and kind of like mm. making sure we meet up for this exact purpose can take its time um, but it's very different to um, everything else I worked on. It's basically it's twelve songs now that are pretty much all featuring just our vocals. There's no guests, no nothing. We've written all the lyrics, recorded wow. all the vocals. It's a lot more Indian rock influence than it is dance. Like there are some very recognizably kind of anky sounds, like big super swords, big punchy kicks, and weird sure. fills and bass edits. But a ton of it is actually like it wouldn't be out of place listening to it on a father son record or a prides record you know it's very um uh, yeah. kind of uk indie so that uh, is currently in its final stages we're doing our vocal processing and from there that will be shop to labels um but awesome. on the anki side of things there is a remix coming up that i just turned in that will be very exciting i can't say anything about it yet uh, that should be out within a month or so and from there i'm actually going traveling at the start of the new year for two months um so i've kind of cleaned my slate i'm gonna go traveling around south america with my girlfriend which i'm very excited about oh mate that'll be uh, awesome it's gonna be so much fun it's cleaned me entirely out of money but it's gonna be worth it yeah yeah. um yeah, but nice. the idea when i come back is i'm gonna hit the ground running with a ton of single content and i'm gonna see 
about putting together a couple of EPs as well. There's going to be a lot of music in 2019 um, and a lot of Fantastic. different music as well. Uh, I think you're going to be surprised that the, it's not all going to be 100 BPM slammers. There's going to be some very weird stuff coming your way. <laughs> very much looking forward to that. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, finally, where can people find you online if they want to check out your music, learn more about you and follow you? So uh, it's a pretty simple procedure. Head to any social media of your choice and just type in Anki Music after the website and you'll be able to find me. Um, head to Spotify and just have a look at Anki on there. Um, if you haven't minded the sound of my voice for an hour, I also run a podcast with friends called First World Solutions. You'll be able to find that on Spotify and uh, SoundCloud. But uh, yeah, Anki Music on all socials is your place to go. 